there. Welcome back to the Cybersecurity Evangelist. I'm Jennifer Lynn Walker. Thanks for tuning in. And happy Cybersecurity Awareness Month 2022, in case uh, you haven't uh, been uh, sent those wishes. Um, I know in some cyber circles, many cyber professionals have grown weary and somewhat pessimistic of Cybersecurity Awareness Month. But listen up, Cybersecurity Awareness Month isn't for folks in cyber. Quite honestly, neither is this podcast. But that's for another show. But Cybersecurity Awareness Month is really for everyone else who doesn't live and breathe cyber every day. I will contend that Cybersecurity Awareness Month is a great campaign for organizations to leverage the many freely available resources that get published during the month um, to help with cybersecurity awareness and training curriculum, um, especially the smaller organizations who likely don't have IT, let alone cybersecurity staff, but organizations who still need to be aware um, you know, of the threats and how to be cyber smart to stay safe online, just like everyone does. Um, speaking of stay safe online, uh, staysafeonline.org is the URL where, where Cybersecurity Month is hosted every year. And Lisa Plagemeyer, who is the executive director at the National Cybersecurity Alliance, who co-founded Cybersecurity Awareness Month along with CISA. Um, but Lisa was on Andy's The Gate 15 interview last month. So I hope you all got a chance to listen. But she called staysafeonline.org the best URL on the internet. So I thought that was fun. I wanted to share that with you. So for this episode, I believe it's episode 22 um, of TCE, I'm sticking with the Cybersecurity Awareness Month topic. Um, of course, it only makes sense for the cybersecurity evangelist Am I right? Uh, but I'm going to take a little different perspective. More on that in a minute. First, a quick Cybersecurity Awareness Month refresher. In brief, um, Cybersecurity Awareness Month, I know it's a bit of a mouthful, but uh, I'll shorten it to Awareness Month, um, is every October. It is in its 19th year. Um, each year, Awareness Month has an overarching theme. And then in prior years, each week would have a specific related theme that the National Cybersecurity Alliance and CISA and many others uh, will write and share resources about. This year, they're taking a little different approach. Um, it still has an overarching theme, but instead of having four weekly themes, this year's uh, is focusing on four behaviors that we should all be doing to stay safe online. Most of them probably won't come as any surprise. Um, you know, honestly, I think they're probably still going to be broken down by week as organizations are covering the different topics. Um, but I'm not sure that was necessarily intent. Um, it seems like a natural flow. And as, as I say that, I did see National Cybersecurity Alliance posted something um, outside of that, in, in that, um, in that outside of that order today. So uh, who knows? Um, but anyway, um, Cybersecurity Awareness Month theme this year, see, it's a bit of a mouthful, even I get tongue-tied, but the overall theme this year is see yourself in cyber. And then the four behaviors focus on the people part of cybersecurity to ensure that all individuals and organizations make smart decisions, both personally and professionally in their cyber, you know, online uh, uh, activity. So the, the behaviors that will be highlighted during the month include enabling multi-factor authentication, no surprise there, um, using strong passwords to include the use of a password manager, updating software and recognizing and reporting phishing and other suspicious activity. So in addressing Cybersecurity Awareness Month in this episode of TCE, I'm really going to focus on the premise of what I strive the podcast to be, which I always intended as the cybersecurity podcast for everyone. And the idea of making cybersecurity relevant for anyone, um, but we're going to do it with a little twist. 
Um, I say that uh, because for a change, for one, I actually have a guest. <laughs> so you don't have to listen to me prattle on for 20 or 30 minutes. So before we get started with our guest, I know some listeners, mom um, specifically, don't consider themselves very cyber literate and who certainly would never, ever consider a career in cybersecurity. Now, okay, mom's retired, and I know for a fact she would never break into cybersecurity for a retirement gig, but some listeners or their kids may be ready to enter the workforce or make a career change. And if you thought that cybersecurity wasn't the career for you, never say never. Wait until you hear what we're about to talk about. But with me today, I have Christophe Foulon. Um, he, uh, his day job is he works for a Fortune 10 uh, financial uh, technology company, but he's also the co-host of a podcast um, with Renee Small, and it's called Breaking Into Cybersecurity. Now, I recently became acquainted with Chris and learned of his podcast and other similar efforts that he is involved in and thought it would be kind of neat to take this literal perspective on Cybersecurity Awareness Month's um, overarching theme of see yourself in cyber by focusing on the topic of his podcast. Um, so this is kind of a, well, it actually is. It's a podcast about a podcast where Chris and Renee talked to individuals about what they did before they broke into cybersecurity, along with why and how they did it. So welcome, Chris. Thank you so much for having me. Really appreciate it. I appreciate you coming on, and it was kind of short notice, so I, I super appreciate that. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and specifically how the podcast started. Absolutely. So the I always liked being in tech and cyber ever since I was small. I grew up in the Caribbean, and one of the things there is that they didn't have many computers when I was younger. Um, my parents happened to own a, a business. And we happened to have a computer and the island tech, uh, she was repairing the computer and had all the guts all over the ground. I think she was upgrading a hard drive and changing the RAM. And I saw all the guts and glory of the computer all over and fell in love with it. Ever since then, I would go summers at her internet cafe. I would upgrade machines, I would remove viruses when I was a kid. And rather than spend my summer playing, I spent my summer learning. By the time I was 10 or 11, I had built my first computer by myself. Um, all I did was order the parts, put it together and do what I would normally do. And I, I just love doing it. Um, my family is also very entrepreneurial. So after high school, I decided that I'd go down that track. I'd go down the sales route. I'd go down um, making money instantly because I had to work while I was in college. So I ended up in sales. I ended up being a salesperson. And then everything crashed in 2008. Um, I was selling cars at the time and getting credit for my customers buying my cars at the time was hard to do. So I said, if I was going to have to struggle at work, might as well struggle doing something I loved. So I literally quit my job, went out, got certifications, and within three months, got my first um, gig in formal IT. I mean, I've been supporting my friends and family um, informally, uh, throughout the years, but I got certifications and I started in Sony's version of 
their genius bar. Um, it was called Backstage Technicians. But fast forward through my career, I've been the one that always liked security. Um, I worked for a financial organization and would notice people back then before they had password managers with their sticky note, um, with their <laughs> password on their keyboard. And it was like, there's got to be a better way. Uh, so I always worked to find better ways to both help the users as well as help the companies. So onboarding, offboarding processes and things like that. Um, but there wasn't a security title. It was always an IT title, an IT manager, a help desk. Um, back then, there weren't many security titles. So when I got my first security title, I considered myself having fully broken in to cybersecurity. <laughs> and I got lots of help along the way. So I figured, why not try to help people? Initially, it was Renee and me. Um, we, we met on LinkedIn, um, just responding back and forth from threads, helping users get into the industry. And we, we were like, there's got to be a better way. Let's find a way to scale. And creating a podcast was that way. And after about two years of doing that, we, we wrote a book called How to Develop Your Cybersecurity Career at Any Level. And we got a fellow um, CISO, Gary Hayslip, to join us as well. And I, I had created a framework to write the book, and they just had to put in their stories. So it's really stories from the three of us sharing how at different levels of your career, you can develop your own cybersecurity career path. Um, after that, and more recently, I published another book called How to Hack Your Cybersecurity Interview. And this is also written with three authors, myself, Ken Underhill, and Tia Hopkins. And in this book, we take the opposite approach. We dissect um, so the top 10 common roles in cybersecurity, share the tips and tricks and skills needed to get there, what hiring managers are looking for, and even areas that they might ask you questions about that um, you can study, you can um, free read about and learn about those roles to make sure they're the right role for you before you get into cybersecurity. You mentioned the podcast. So the mm -hmm. podcast focuses on individuals who have broken into cybersecurity within the past five years, because like potentially you and myself, 15 years ago, there, there was not one way in. Um, you were told to do something that had something to do with security, or you just end up getting stuck doing um, identity and access management for your whole life. Um, that, that's the story of some people. So we wanted to show more modern ways that individuals have broken in because today we need marketing people. We need policy people for GRC. We need teachers um, to help teach security awareness. We, we have so many different needs within the, the cybersecurity sphere that we really do need a whole human approach to cybersecurity. And that's why we wanted to share this podcast. Individuals that have broken in, they shared their journey. And you might get one tip from 
one guest and another tip from another guest, pull it together and you can create your own path. That was the idea um, that you can plug and play or poten potentially see a role model. Um, if you're from a, a disadvantaged background and someone repre represents your background, you could see that, oh, they did it, so I could do it too. Um, kind of use the role model um, approach. And then the other approach is really that we bring on leaders on Thursdays, uh, CISO Thursdays, where CISOs and other security leaders will share what they're looking for in the next generation and how to get on their radar rather than getting stuck in the applicant tracking system. Nothing against HR. Um, even <laughs> yeah. Renee talks about it, but we talk about some tips and tricks on potentially how to bypass that and how to break into cybersecurity bypassing the ATS. Love it. Uh, you packed a lot. And then I asked for it too. You packed a lot of information <laughs> in there and don't tell Andy, I asked this. Oh, never mind. He'll be listening. So bad example. Um, don't mute, mute this part, Andy. Um, but I want to touch on the book about dissecting the cybersecurity interview. Um, is that just for those breaking into it or folks like, you know, veterans, you think some veterans can find some, some tips and tricks in there as well. Absolutely. Like I said, we dissected the top 10 uh, jobs, which go in order of experience all the way from analysts to pen testers, to security auditors, to cybersecurity managers, malware analysts, some sales people, sales engineering in there. Um, so we, we kind of even the CISO. Um, so we kind of took roles across the spectrum that were the most popular and dissected them for folks that are either going up or transitioning across from potentially a different role. Excellent. So yeah, I can uh, identify with that doing, you know, cybersecurity before cybersecurity was a thing or the, before there were really any titles. Um, I actually, you know, kind of like you naturally have the affinity for the technology. I think I selected the technology field, you know, to, to, to make money and do something I enjoyed. Um, even though I'm not a huge like tinkerer, um, I can hold my own with, with, with some things, but um, the security side of it just felt like, wow, I really, this is neat. I really like this part. And so um, I didn't do identity and access management, but um, you know, kind of did start with doing, you know, managing, um, you know, web content servers, things like that. So it was, along those lines and, and, um, you know, just really enjoyed it, but was doing those, doing those things before they were really a thing. So I can certainly appreciate that. And I think there was something else, uh, that crossed my mind, uh, as well, but, uh, it has, it has since escaped me and I was too riveted to take notes. So we're just going to roll with that. Well, so something I wanted to mention, since you mentioned doing the, the web and, and things like that. I was teaching a class today at my, my job on one of the domains from the CISSP, which is called asset security. And um, we, I stressed how asset security is really the foundation to any security system. So <laughs> whether it's physical security for your physical assets or logical security for your digital assets. Um, understanding the life cycle that it goes through 
and what sort of protections are needed when, because you don't need the same protections all the time. Otherwise, you'd have a really strong computer that's in the middle of the ocean that no one can use. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, I love uh, I love what you said there. Yeah, that confirms someone asked me, where would you start? And I just said asset inventory or asset management. Um, and that just opens up a whole host of host of other things. But uh, uh, good point. Thank you for sharing that. Um, so uh, let's get into into some of the meat of, of these, um, you know, folks that you know, have experienced this journey and have broken into cybersecurity. And you kind of, you touched on it. We hear all the time. Um, there's a talent gap. You don't have to be in STEM, um, you know, for those uninitiated science, technology, engineering, and I think manufacturing, but, um, or IT uh, to be in cyber. But, you know, you've literally talked to dozens who resemble that remark. Um, I know you've talked with a librarian who we'll talk about a little bit later, Tracy Malief. Um, but, um, you know, one field in particular, and you did mention it about teaching. Um, they make great trainers. Um, so I'm presuming based on your comments that you've chatted with a lot of teachers that have broken into cyber. Um, were they doing training? Did they go in other roles? And I really kind of bring up teachers because, well, my mom was a, is a retired teacher. So I just wanted to let her know that she could probably do cyber too, even though I, I know she never will. Uh, actually, I have chatted with a couple teachers um, and both of them didn't go into training. They, they went into analyst work. Um, both of them were interested in cybersecurity and they worked to develop a profile to which showed and demonstrated to the employers that their ability to pick up on frameworks, for example, um, teaching requirements, things like that, to pick up on new topics to teach them to children, to break them down uh, into easily digestible chunks, you still need that outside of roles from outside of training roles. Because when you're interacting with the business, you have to do the same thing with them. Um, we've had veterans that were intelligence officers going into threat intel um, on the cyber side, easily transferable, but mm -hmm. uh, it's still something to think about. We've had um, logistics personnel that went into um, being a, a sim analyst. We've we've had all sorts of different things. Um, we had a physical therapy doctor that became a consultant, um, a cybersecurity consultant. We've had salespeople. We've had a, a, a myriad of roles. I think we've had three over close to 400 episodes recorded now in the four plus years that we've been around. So uh, there's definitely something for everyone in there. Awesome. Uh, so I'm kind of stuck on a couple of things. So for the sales folks, what was the most unique say, like completely unrelated to anything techno I'm presuming there's somebody that was completely unrelated to anything technology um you know vacuum cleaner salesman I mean you know I don't know something they were selling books they were selling encyclopedias and um they went into selling cybersecurity products and they actually mentioned that they liked working for an MSSP or liked working for um, security product companies because it allowed them to investigate different areas of cybersecurity 
while getting to know their product and being able to sell to their customer. Excellent. All right, so let's see where we're at here. So, um, you know, like you even alluded to it in the beginning, some fall into it or are otherwise assigned cyber roles, especially in smaller companies. Um, so, you know, we've talked about a few, um, you know, different paths that folks have taken, um, but I certainly want to hear about some of those less likely candidates that, you know, folks almost wouldn't even imagine breaking into cybersecurity. So if you're thinking, no way, this isn't for me, uh, you know, Chris, please share with us some of those less likely candidates that you've talked to that have broken into cybersecurity. Um, again, you know, capitalize, capitalizing on what field they came from and what discipline they got into. But I would like to start with Tracy Malief. Um, I understand she's pretty much working her dream job right now uh, with former uh, CISA director, Chris. I like pineapple on pizza, Krebs, although I'm sure director, I know director Easterly uh, has something to say about that. But um, what else can you tell us about Tracy's journey? And then we could go into, you know, a few more of those unique stories. Yeah, I think um, from her story, what she highlighted was the ability to find information um, within the library. So that's where she started. She helped individuals that were looking to find a specific author from a specific time period, and she helped them to be able to drill down and how to find that information. And mentioned creating uh, structured approaches that individuals could use to find that. And the transferable skill that is, is called open source intelligence. She's using the open information within the library system to find the authors based on information she knows from her experience, as well as um, in the library information system to be able to help narrow down the books that they're looking for. So that could also be a great research skill for a uh, cybersecurity analyst or an intel um, individual that's gathering intel from the web or dark web and collecting that information and then being able to dissect it. Um, she also has to be able to break down complicated terms into simple approaches for individuals that might not know how to do it. And she ended up fi finding individuals in the library that were using the library computers and helping them find stuff. And it, it really just started out from her passion for helping people in the library and translated into her loving cybersecurity as well. Excellent. So the, the, the lady we're talking about, Tracy Malief, um, her Twitter handle, and I'll share this in the show notes, is, um, and this kind of epitomizes that whole, you know, finding everything and, and helping out, is uh, her Twitter handle is at uh, Infosec Sherpa. So, um, you know, she can find anything and help you with, with anything um, and help you lift that, uh, you know, for the research and whatnot. But uh, so I just wanted to share that. And then anyone else that you might talk about, if there's folks that, 
you know, are in, uh, usually we enjoy, I personally, and maybe this is more for me than the audience um, to follow some of the folks that you've talked to that are doing research, cybersecurity research, and, you know, are posting things on Twitter. Um, I love to follow the, the security researchers. So um, the, the Twitter handles are probably for my own edification more than anything else, but I'm, I'm sure some folks will find them interesting. So um, what other unique um, le least likely transitions, um, you know, have for folks, have you talked to? Well, we, we've, like I mentioned, we've had, um, reception, a legal receptionist transfer, and she became a analyst for, I think she ended up at Microsoft when I was interviewing her or, uh, had just left. Um, but she went through the boot camp route and, because she didn't like working at law firms and didn't like doing what they were doing at law firms and switched. Um, we had someone that was doing physical therapy. He was a physical therapy doctor and himself, I think, uh, got hacked. And as he was investigating that, he really thought, thought that it was interesting and decided to quit his career as a doctor and to start studying and, and doing that. Um, yeah, they're book salesmen that I mentioned earlier. Um, but then we also have a lot of military veterans um, that have come from different branches of the military. And because they've worked in the military, they have a lot of the security basics down just because of how they operate on a daily basis but they overlook it. Many overlook mm. the transferable skills that they have, especially from the military. Um, all the security procedures that they have to follow, all the understanding of rules and regulatory guidelines that they take for granted that in the private space, um, many might not have to follow. So um, don't overlook that military veterans. Yeah, indeed. Um... Yeah, and then with the um, you know the the the, the talent shortage, um, you know there's always room for uh, especially those with that security mindset already um, that transfers easy. But again, as we're highlighting, anybody can see themselves in cyber. I mean, if cybersecurity is truly um, you know open for everyone at this point, um, you know Chris mentioned a ton of you know, use cases, we need, you know, policy people and trainers and, you know, marketing and sales. Um, so don't count yourself out if you think, um, you know, you're ready to make some kind of a career change, but you're not so sure you want to completely move into another direction. You know, there may be something that's translatable. Um, to that, to that point, Chris, I believe that you have um, another initiative, I believe the whole cyber human initiative that kind of uh, talks about that. Could you tell Absolutely. us a little bit more about that, please? Yeah, the whole Cyberhuman Initiative is a 501c3 um, organization, and we help with providing a guided path for individuals that are looking to get into cyber to do so. So for U.S.-based individuals, we have um, an assessment that's funded by or supported by the NIST-NICE framework that helps them to assess some of the potential roles based on their experience, as well as their preferences, 
based on a, a, per, a little personality test that it does. It kind of shares that um, or also potentially going to partner up with um, another mentor-like site that does uh, a, a greater profiling of where they could go. Then we take advantage of open source uh, community edition resources or open source training. But rather than saying, here, all the cybersecurity training is your oyster, um, we, we kind of give them some examples to go down to provide that guided path for them. When they do um, the different trainings and the different areas of cybersecurity, because we want to provide them the whole experience, um, at the end of that path, we will help them with creating um, a digital profile for themselves so that they can start to network with others. We will help advertise them to potential employers so that um, they can get that role. And also, on the other end, pair employers with uh, potential candidates. So to help narrow down that gap, and like I mentioned, the ATS system, which can lose a lot of people, um, find ways to, to shortcut that and connect the resources directly to the hiring managers. Um, but I did want to touch on one thing. You mentioned the, the, the shortage, um, and I say that with quotation marks. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I, I think that's really a misalignment between A, businesses wanting to mobilize the resources quickly. So you're having a high list of requirements for their resources, but failing to consider that that high list of requirements was likely from someone that has done that role in another place. So if you're looking only for individuals that have done that specific role in another place, you have a limited talent pool and you're still going to have that ramp up time because each organization is different. Each organization uses different tools and has different policies and approaches to things. So as much as you think you're going to shortcut that ramp up time, um, you're still going to have that ramp up time. Um, the other thing is that people have, or companies have been hiring with short-sighted goals. And in tight economies like this, they're, they're doing layoffs, um, they're trying to reduce salaries, but if they were using a talent pipeline approach, they would be able to um, receive talent early, train them up specifically to the organizational needs, and then grow them internally, which allows them to also have more loyalty for the organization. There, there is going to be a factor of attrition, and you're going to have to factor in that attrition and that training cost to the loyalty that you build for those that stay with you and the reduced time and money that you don't have to spend to potential outside recruiters and uh, lost time in hiring. So trade-offs on both sides. Absolutely. Yeah, I still see, you know, tweets or job requirements. Um, not that I'm looking, Andy, but you'll, you know, you'll see where they're asking for the world. And it's like, you know, they want, you know, a junior level, whatever. And they're asking for, you know, senior and veteran and 
you know, I, I don't know, even a CISP, which takes 10 years before you qualify for, to be able five to years. take that test. Five. So is it five years now? Okay. Yes. I thought, it was- um, and, and usually what I tell, um, I'll hate to generalize now, but women and individuals from potentially disadvantaged um, backgrounds is to pretend to be a cocky white guy that thinks they're on top of the world. They will typically apply for a role with 50 to 60% of the minimum requirements and hope for the best. And when you talk to hiring managers, they're potentially looking at 70% of what they list there to, for the ideal candidate to have. So that gives the, the 50 to 60% applications that area to grow. But if you apply when you meet 100% of that role, you'll end up being bored. You'll end up feeling that you're not growing after a relatively short period of time. So take that into consideration. Apply to roles that you will grow because you want to think for your future and that you will have that area to learn new skills while you're on the job because that's how you're going to get promoted by demonstrating that you could take on new responsibilities and do do new things. Um, If you go in with everything, you're going to love love and you're not going to really be able to grow that quickly. That's Wow, that's an excellent point. Um, yeah, I'm sorry, Andy, I'm taking that one to heart, but <laughs> wow. Um, he is not going to like this podcast. Um, but one thing, do you do, do you work with firms or companies that are, you know, while you're training folks, are you able to find folks like internships or there are companies that are willing to take, um, interns from the folks that you're, that you're working with, or, I mean, do you, are you yeah, able we've... to put those together? Yeah, we've worked with uh, Valor, which is uh, one of the partner organizations for the whole Cyberhuman Initiative, and they've created an apprenticeship program, an eight-week apprenticeship program, where they're able to take um, individuals that are more junior in their career, and they're providing them with on-the-job training and access to real-world situations while they're learning, and provide them with that apprenticeship and experience opportunities. So yes, we we are able to do that. Um, we're also potentially working on working with the Department of Labor on creating potentially more cyber roles in um, the DOL um, definition of roles so that we could potentially work with uh, more federal agencies and create more apprenticeships that are more cyber focused versus just having a generic IT one. Excellent. So I'm going to go back uh, to the, to the prior topic on, you know, applying for, you know, jobs. If you're, you know, you you said you didn't want to generalize, you know, you talked about the cocky white, you know, the white male, um, but we alluded to, you know, females and underrepresented, um, you know, other underrepresented and, if I'm not mistaken, where you have the, the cocky white male that's, you know, going in there with, like you said, 50%. Um, I think the, you know, that has the, 
you know, has the oomph to do that. Um, I think when it's a, when it's a female, um, and I think I can speak for that, you know, I'll look at a job description and go, yeah, I, I'm, I'm not even at, at 60, 70, 80%. And I'm just going to turn away and go somewhere else. I mean, I don't even, I don't, I don't have the, I don't have the guts to apply yeah. for that position because I don't meet a hundred percent or 90%. Uh, and again, generalizing, but uh, many females, unless they meet a hundred percent or 90% of those requirements, they might not apply. So they lose the opportunity right there. Um, and, and then the same thing goes for underrepresented groups. They undervalue their experience and their transferable skills when you're looking at the role and uh, forget that they've potentially done something similar somewhere else. They might not have the verbiage on how to describe that transferable skill. So as part of the whole cyberhuman initiative, we help individuals with identifying those transferable skills and putting them in a way that hiring managers will see that as a transferable skill. So for example, um, being able to keep up with latest uh, cybersecurity laws and regulations might be something in there, but if you've never done that, you, you're like, well, I, I don't know if I do that, but if you're in the military, if you've worked with the government, if you've worked on um, privacy or PCI or any of those, you've worked with frameworks and you've probably have had to research, like, is this the latest edition of that framework and where to find the, the next edition? So you understand how to do that concept. Now you just have to say, I've done this particular skill in this context, but I can do it now in the cybersecurity context and show how that's a transferable skill. Excellent. Awesome. So um, are there any other, um, you know, kind of starting to wrap this up and I appreciate you being here today and sharing uh, again, you know, seeing literally seeing yourself in cyber. Um, are there any kind of, as we start to close up any resources, uh, other resources or events either that you are a part of or even want to spread the word for others? Yeah. So I've, um, here in the Northern Virginia area, um, I'm part of B-Sides Nova, and this year I was a lead for the Career Village, and I hope to do so next year as well. But check out local conferences like B-Sides. Um, there's one in Nova, there's one in D.C., and then there's B-Sides Charm in Baltimore. Um, they happen at different points throughout the year, so you have three great local conferences that you can check out. Um, that, that are not too expensive. And then there's other security conferences that you can check out. Um, check out local meetups um, for networking, for talking to others. Um, there's ISACA, IC Squared, um, OWASP. There, there's many of, of those um, groups that are in cybersecurity uh, that focus on accreditation and they have local chapters that meet on a monthly basis. You can meet people in the industry and they are generally very welcoming to newcomers to helping them grow just as many are in this industry. Excellent. 
So Chris rattled off a bunch of uh, acronyms and initialisms, as Andy will correct me at every opportunity. Um, so we, uh, when I re-listen to this before I post it, I will uh, have all those um, organizations and the conferences and whatnot that he mentioned in the show notes. So you don't have to worry about jotting those down or what did he say or what did that mean? So we'll have that all spelled out for you. Um, so thank you for sharing that. And then as I close up, I like to ask my guests to, you know, kind of some from, for some parting, share some parting words, like one thing, one thing that you would like the, uh, the audience uh, and the listeners to, to know and to, to leave with today. I would say before you go on to any job hunt, um, whether that's within your field or within cybersecurity, if you see yourself there, kind of figure out what you want to do first. Um, being able to narrow it down to one role and to show why you're passionate for that role to a hiring manager rather than saying any job in cybersecurity um, really sets you apart from the majority of the competition. So really do that self-discovery, figure out which aspect of the 52 roles in IT and cyber that the NIST NICE framework has highlighted that you are potentially the most interested in and do some informational interviews before you go out and you apply. And then that way you have more context as to how the role interacts with your organization and if that's the right role for you. Awesome. That is amazing advice. Um, I can't wait to re-listen to this for just all the different, um, you know, all the advice that you had. Um, so I appreciate that so much. Thank you so much, Chris, for coming on today. Absolutely. So um, I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Cybersecurity Evangelist and learned how you can work in cybersecurity too. So again, a very special thank you to my, uh, to my guest, uh, Christophe Foulon. Uh, please check out uh, breaking into cybersecurity, his podcast. Um, and you know, some of those stories um, are just simply amazing. Um, as always, I hope you check out the Gate 15 family of podcasts. You can always find one of us throughout the month between Dave and his nerd out security panel discussion, Andy in the Gate 15 interview, of course, uh, myself here on TCE. And most of the time you can catch all three of us on the risk roundtable that usually leads off the month. Um, so thank you for listening to the cybersecurity evangelist. I'm Jennifer Lynn Walker. Until next time, do your part for cybersecurity awareness month and always be cyber smart. And maybe we'll get to see you in cyber soon. Thank you.